3, 1 Peter 3, hey, we have made our way in the book of 1 Peter to chapter 3, verse 1, and what we've learned is that the book of 1 Peter is a manual for aliens, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, that's what you are. You are an alien and a pilgrim. This world is ultimately not your home. And the inheritance that you've been given doesn't come from this world. It comes from what Jesus Christ has done for us. We also know that because we're aliens, it changes the way we interact with the world. We're not here as just consumers looking to receive and to get what this world has to offer. We're actually here to give. We're actually here to invest our lives. Part of what Peter's been telling us about this investment is that we are called to be people who are helping prepare others around us For the return of Christ. That Jesus Christ indeed will return one day, and when he comes back, our role, our responsibilities as followers of Jesus is to help those around us be prepared for that by pointing them to him, pointing them to the need to repent of their sin and trust Christ for salvation. What we're going to talk about this morning is probably one of the most controversial topics in the book of 1 Peter. And what we're going to talk about this morning is how you and I are to be aliens in the midst of our homes. How are we to be aliens and pilgrims living as husbands and wives? I'm well aware that this conversation and this discussion, um, I think there's probably nothing more we'll talk about in the book of 1 Peter around which there's more disagreement and confusion However, what I want to do this morning is just from God's word, walk us through what Peter is saying. You and I are called to be as aliens and pilgrims in our homes. Now, one more thing, just preliminarily speaking. I do know that not everyone in this room is married. I know many of you are not married. In fact, I think our most recent census shows that we're approaching almost the point where 50% of the folks living in our culture, in our country, are not married. And so if you're not married this morning, I do not want you to feel left out. I hope that through hearing this this morning, you'll be led to pray for those people around you who are married, friends that you have that you know that are uh, married and they're trying to follow Christ. But also some of you that are desirous of being married, please understand these passages of Scripture help us understand what the target is that God calls us to look for. And so if you're single and you're praying for married friends, that's great. If you're single and you're praying about the person maybe God would have you marry one day, this passage of Scripture, along with others, gives you really a blueprint of what you and I are to be looking for as we try to seek to follow the Lord in marriage. So here's the question we're going to answer this morning, very simply. What does it mean to be an alien and a pilgrim as a husband and a wife? With your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, would you please stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter 3, verse 1, and we'll go all the way down to verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Would you please pray with me, church? Father God, in these moments, we pray that your word would open our eyes, that your spirit would open our hearts to hear from you. And Father, we pray that as we hear from you this morning, we would not just be hearers of your word. God, would you help us to be doers as well? God, you take your spirit. Please use the word this morning to take your truth and to plant it deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So where Peter starts is with a discussion about wives, alien wives. And consistent with Ephesians chapter 5, Peter starts by telling alien wives what they're to be about. And what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3 is this, Likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands. The idea here, ladies, consistently with what Peter's been saying in chapter 2, about our relationship to the government, our relationship to our employers, is that God has installed authorities in this world. He's installed authorities uh, in our governing authorities. He's installed authorities in the workplace. And he's also installed authorities in homes. And what we know from the greater testimony of Scripture is that ultimately God looks at husbands as the ones he will hold responsible for the home. The husband is the one that God is looking to to lead, give direction, protection, and care for the home. And so what he says in this passage is that, wives, you are to willingly place yourself under your husband's authority. You're to willingly, not by force or compulsion that somebody else does to you, but you're to follow the leadership and direction your husband gives. Now, what I want to quickly clarify is what this does not mean, ladies, is that you're to allow your husband to tell you to sin. I'm also quick to clarify that this is not in any way a subsidization of some kind of form of abuse. If we in this church saw a woman who was being abused by her husband physically or emotionally or notwithstanding, whatever, or that the husband was asking her to sin, we would tell her to leave him. We would hope that divorce would be the last option. We would not counsel that, but we would say that getting that person out of that situation is important because we do not believe this passage of Scripture allows husbands to abuse or mistreat their wives. We'll be very, very clear about that. That is not what this is saying. What this is saying, however, ladies, inasmuch as your husband's not asking you to sin, Inasmuch as your husband's not asking you, uh, is not abusing you in those kinds of ways we just described, those things that are not happening, those caveats mentioned, you are to submit and follow the leadership of your husband. Now, I know what a lot of us begin to think about when we read these verses. We think, well, what about lousy husbands? My husband's lousy. No elbows here this morning, okay? Uh, he, you know, I, I just don't know if you understand my situation. He, he's difficult. He's a difficult person to deal with. Um, he's selfish. He could be manipulative at times. Isn't there some kind of get out of jail free card 
that lets me get out of this. Well, Peter actually knows how difficult the situation is. God does. And so he actually addresses a common situation that was present in the New Testament church that's also present today. He takes it one step further. He says, well, what about this? What if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a wife and you're following Jesus, but your husband doesn't know Christ? Should you still follow your husband's leadership if he's not a Christian? Look at your Bibles. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What Peter says is, yes, short of your husband asking you to sin, short of abuse, you are to submit your life to your husband because even if he's not a Christian, your life, the way that you live your life, will point him to Christ. You're going to have an opportunity, even without a word, through your conduct, it'll give you an opportunity to speak of the gospel. When it says one without a word, I don't believe that means that people can become Christians without hearing about Jesus directly. I just think that means that it's saying that, ladies, your conduct can be so stark, so stunning to your husband that he goes, what is it about you that allows you to be so respectful and honorable and pure in your life? And that that will give you an opportunity to share Christ with him. Here's the principle Peter's talking about here that he's been getting at this entire section as we've worked in the book of 1 Peter. He's calling Christians to unexplainable behavior that points to an unseen God. What Peter is asking of us as aliens and pilgrims is that we would live in such a way that people rationally looking at us go, I have no explanation for why you're doing that. And that in that moment, when somebody that looks at it rationally goes, I have no explanation for it, that it gives me an opportunity to talk about the unseen God that people can't see with their physical eyes. There are actually a lot of things about life today that's unexplainable. I don't know if you realize that. As much as we tout science as this great authority, science actually can't explain a lot going on in our world today. The most important thing science can't deal with is why you exist. This is one of the important things I would talk to college students about often when, you, when I would hear people say, well, science, you have religion, I have science, science is my authority. I would say, great, so why do you think we're here? What purpose for which we Science can tell us a lot about how the world works and what happens in the world, but ultimately it fails as a worldview because it can't describe anything beyond what we see with our eyes. It can't tell us why we're here. There's actually a lot of other things science can't explain. It can't explain, for example, the attitude and the behavior of ants. I don't know if you know this, Ants individually are dumb, very dumb creatures, but when they come together, there's this collective consciousness that ants develop that's actually pretty unparalleled. It's actually insane. I don't know how many of you guys have seen this Facebook video where they pour the concrete, the liquid concrete down the ant hole, and it like goes into all of the different crevices of this ant colony, and then they dig it out. Have you, how many of you guys seen this video? Some of you have? Good. First service, nobody had seen it, okay? You guys are the hip and with it crowd, okay? Um, they looked at me like I was crazy in first service. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they dig it up, and, right, and they come out with this like intricately woven, uh, basically, city, right? That these ants, by themselves, not very intelligent, but together, form this incredible colony. 
Science knows that that's happening, but we can't really get a hold on why they have this heightened intelligence when they come together. Same thing with animals and, and natural disasters. We know that animals can oftentimes predict or they, they get weird like before a storm or before an earthquake. We, we know that this is happening, but we can't really explain it. These unexplainable behaviors in the world that we see with our eyes point us to something else, doesn't it? It says there's something going on here, but I can't figure out what it really is. Ladies, what Peter's saying to you this morning is that your behavior, the way you live your life in your home is to have a level of mystery to it. It's to have an unexplainable dimension to it that points to something else. That when your friends at work listen to you talk about your husband and that you don't run him down like everybody else does at work, that they go, hey, why do you, why do you treat your husband that way? Why do you talk about him that way? If I can just... Um, express my gratitude. One of the things I'm very thankful for, Shelly and I have mentioned this several times in coming to pastor here, is the families that we've met here, we've been so thankful the way they, especially the wives, talk so um, positively about their husbands, talk so thankfully about the way their husbands love them and care for them. That doesn't mean our husbands are perfect. Verse 7, we're going to get to the husbands in a second. Your turn's coming, guys. But the reality is, there's to be something different, ladies, about the way you interact with your husband that makes people go, huh, what, what is that? Why, why, why do you act differently about your husband than others do? There's something unexplainable about this behavior that points to Christ. One of the reasons I think this is absolutely precious, and in fact, the Bible goes on to say, ladies, that this kind of behavior is precious to God, is because you're actually following in the footsteps of Jesus when you act this way. Think about this with me for a second. Jesus Christ walked this earth. He lived a perfect life. He performed miracles. He taught with authority and power, not like their scribes. And everyone around him was going, what are you doing? Why, why isn't he establishing his kingdom? <laughs> He's got this power. He's got this authority. Why doesn't he just kick the Romans out and establish this kingdom? Even at points, his own disciples didn't understand what he was doing. Jesus actually went so far as to submit himself to the Roman authorities. You do understand that with a snap of a finger, Jesus Christ is to call down legions of angels and destroyed any force that opposed him. But he didn't do that. He submitted himself. Think about this with me. Jesus submitted himself to creatures that he had brought into existence. Jesus, the creator, who was there when time, before time began, spoke the world into existence Creatures that he brought into existence, he submits himself to them. Hangs on a cruel, cruel cross, dies in our place, and resurrects again on the third day. And it was only upon the resurrection where the disciples went, Aha! This unexplainable set of events, Jesus, that you walked through, was all to purchase redemption for us. It was all to take the penalty that we should have gotten for our lying and our stealing and our hatred and our lust. All of these things, Jesus, you bore all of those and carried that to the cross and died in our place. Ladies, I believe one of the reasons the Bible describes this behavior as precious, as valuable, as sacred, is because you're actually following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ when you live this way. Now, here's the question, okay? If this is what Peter's saying wives should do, submit to their husbands, follow their leadership and authority in their lives. How do you do that? Ladies, how should you live that way? That's the question Peter answers in verse 3. Look back in your Bibles. Verse 3, 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Ladies, Peter says the way that you will live out this kind of submission to your husbands is not by trusting that they're really smart guys that have it all together and always do the right thing and always take care of you. That's not how you're going to do this. The way that you're going to sustainably submit and follow God's plan as a wife is if you are cultivating a trust in Christ for your needs. See, Peter says, don't, don't focus on adorning just your physical appearance, the way you look, your hair, things like that. Actually, what Peter says is the way that you're going to grow in embracing the role that you've been given as a wife is by growing in your trust that you have Jesus if you know him as Savior, and that's really all you need. Ladies, the only way you will sustainably uh, display a respect and a kindness and a love and devotion to your husband is if you're trusting that Christ is ultimately going to be the one that takes care of you. One of the reasons I think that's what Peter's describing is because he talks about there being a gentleness, ladies. Did you notice that? Gentleness and quiet doesn't reflect personality. You're going to have different personalities among different people. It reflects an attitude. Gentleness and quiet that he's talking about here is not weak people. It's people that are powerful, but they're under control. Gentleness, meekness is the idea of power under control. And he's saying there's a, there's a place and there's a reality that you can be a gentle, quiet person because you don't have to fight to get what you need. You've already got it. Peter's saying you're not going to have to rage to get what you want, even if your husband's not leading the way he's supposed to because ultimately Christ is going to take care of you. Peter talks about Sarah from the Old Testament and says that's the way she responded to Abraham. And then he makes this sobering statement. Look in your Bibles at verse 6 at the end. He says, if you do good, excuse me, and you are Sarah's children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. It would be easy to fear, ladies, if your husband was ultimately the one that held your future in his hand. But he doesn't. It would be easy. We should be afraid if some other human being is the one I have to hold my hope in. We should be afraid if some person is the one I'm looking to for my security, which is why, by the way, Tuesday, we're not afraid. Because whether it was Trump or Clinton, we're not afraid about the future because they don't hold our future in their hand. God does. You see, the reason this is so important is because when we cultivate this trust in Christ, when we're no longer afraid of what potentially could be fearful, what we remember is we're not going to look to a person for something only God can give us. I'm not going to look to a person for something only God can give me. Well, what can only God give me? Only God can give me real rest to my soul. Amen? Only God can give me real joy that lasts beyond circumstances when things are good and when things are bad. A real sense of purpose doesn't come from a person. It comes from God. You know what I found? Your husband or your wife makes a lousy savior. And when, when I find myself getting really frustrated with my spouse, 
you know what sometimes I think is happening? Is we're trying to get from a person something we should only be getting from God. Let me be clear, ladies. I'm not saying you should lower the bar. Well, this is just the cards that I've been dealt. Here we go. I'm not saying that you shouldn't nudge and encourage and and spur on your husband to be what God calls him to be. But I have to remember that my wife, though great and though a gift and though I'm a gift to her, we're not meant to save each other. We're not meant to provide eternal happiness for one another. We're part of God's plan in bringing grace and bringing encouragement. But really, ultimately, I can't look to my spouse to give me something that only Christ can provide. And I think the reason a lot of times tension and problems arise in marriage is because we're looking for something from a person that only God can give us. When I get frustrated, when I get super anxious and angry with my spouse, there are times when I have to acknowledge it's probably because I'm looking for something from them that I should be getting from Christ. So ladies, let me ask you this question. How are you doing embracing the role God has given you in your home? How are you doing embracing the role of not under compulsion, not being forced, but willingly saying, God, this is the person you've called me to marry. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to look to him for leadership. Ladies, that doesn't mean you're a doormat. That doesn't mean you're a servant. That doesn't mean you don't speak your mind. That doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. But what that does mean is because God is going to hold your husband accountable for your home, you're going to do everything in your power to let your husband do what he needs to do to be accountable for God for the state and the condition of your home. Ladies, how are you doing with following God's plan for the home? Ladies, are you cultivating... Are you focused on cultivating an outward external beauty? Are you focused on cultivating an inward growing trust in Christ that says, what I have in Jesus is enough. And if I never get another thing because I've been given grace and forgiveness and mercy in Christ, I've got enough. This past week I was in Richmond, Virginia. I'm a trustee for the International Mission Board of the SBC. And so four times a year I get to go and listen to what's going on around the world in the area of missions. And uh, part of what I get to do is meet and talk to missionaries that our uh, group of churches is sending out. So this past week, you should be encouraged to know, um, you as a church uh, sent and mobilized 51 missionaries that are going all over the world. In fact, can we celebrate that together? 51 missionaries. And uh, one of the missionaries that I got to talk to, our group of trustees, we were in a subgroup, and we got to talk to some that were going to Central Asia. And one of the uh, the couples that was going, the wife, uh, she had grown up in this country that she was going back to as a missionary. She'd grown up as an MK in this country, had grown up and was going back there. And and when she was growing up there, she'd grown up in this country from the time she was eight until until she was about 15. And when she was 15 years old, she told us the story that when she was 15, her parents decided in the middle of her sophomore year of high school that they were going to move back to the States. And she said that she told us in this conversation she was devastated. She was devastated that she was coming back to the States because her friends were in this country. She grew up at this school and they were ripping her away from everything that was comfortable and that she knew to go back to a place where she knew basically nobody. And she said, she was talking to us, and she said, you know, I was laying on the bed before we were leaving to go back to America, and I realized when I was 15 years old that actually I'm not supposed 
to look to my parents to provide security and stability for me. Actually, what I'm supposed to do is look to Christ for that. Now, there's a tension there, right? Because God does give us parents. God does give us a spouse to love us, to support us. But we should never be deceived into thinking these people he gives us somehow replace who God is. This is really important for those of you that are single, that are praying one day that the Lord would bring you a spouse, bring you a husband, bring you a wife. As you pray about those things, you've got to recognize that what God's given you now in your season of singleness is a time to strengthen your trust and resolve that Christ is enough for you so that when he brings good things in your lives, they don't become distractions to the greatest thing. I'm gonna camp out here just for another second, okay? Just want, just want to help us process this. The good things God gives us in our lives can be dangerous if they become idols we worship, right? Remember the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? As they come out of Egypt, God gives them gold from the Egyptians. They plunder the Egyptians. They give them, they say, get out of here. I want you guys out of here. And they have all this gold that God blesses them with. Several chapters later, Moses goes up onto the mountain, has a conversation with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And the people go, hey, where's this Moses guy? Where's this, what happened to him? I don't know, I don't know. And so they say, let's get their gold together and let's build a golden calf that we can begin to worship and bow down to. And what happened is the very things that were good, that were blessings that God gave in their lives became idols that they bowed down to and worship. Here's my point. We have to be careful that in every area of our lives, we never elevate the gift above the giver. You guys with me on this? When I elevate gift above giver, I make anything that's good, I can turn it into an idol that I bow down to and worship. Your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents are good things God has given you, but they are never meant to rise above the giver who blessed you with them. So what is a wife? A wife, an alien wife, is someone who submits to her husband by trusting Christ to meet her needs. Let's talk to husbands for a few minutes, okay? Alien husbands. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, if you're taking notes, and I hope the guys in the room are writing this stuff down, there are two things, men, that God calls us to do as alien husbands. Two things. He calls us, number one, to live with our wives in an understanding way. That phrase, understanding way, means that I'm to have an investigatory approach with my wife. I am, in other words, to pursue her. I'm to get to know her. I'm to continue to date her. See, this is one of the challenges in marriage, right? It's, the, it's the, the idea that, you know, you date and you put your best foot forward and then you get married and the game's over. I can kind of prop my feet up and we're just kind of kind of ride off into the sunset and here's, I'm sitting here and she's doing her thing. We're kind of nice roommates and maybe we have some kids, maybe we don't. We kind of live the rest of our lives. And Peter says, no, actually, men, you're to try to understand and pursue and continue to get to know your wife. 
Now, one of the reasons some of you men are looking at me with this quizzical look on your face is because you have assumed that we cannot understand women. Ladies, I don't know if you know this, but men commonly will say, women, who can understand them? They're so different from us. They're so, they're wired differently. They process things differently. And what Peter here is saying is, yes, that's very true. Women are different than men, but their difference is not a weakness. Men, listen to me. The way God made your wife, he made her that way on purpose, and it's beautiful, and it's by design. And what he's saying, men, is you and I are to have a pursuance, an exploration, a getting to know, a continual learning about our wives. So what that means is, I will never fully understand this beautiful blonde on the front row sitting here to my left. I won't ever fully understand all the depths of who she is. But I will, and what I'm called to do is to continue to pursue her and to get to know her. In 1803, when the Louisiana Purchase was finalized, President Jefferson commissioned two men, Lewis and Clark, to go on a two-year expedition to discover what was there, right? They bought this big piece of land. It's like, all right, let's figure out what's actually there. They left from, anybody know what city they left from to go on their expedition? St. Louis, right? The gateway to the west. They left from St. Louis, and in a two-year journey, they explored every part of this frontier. They tried to find the best path there and back so that they could establish trade routes through this new territory that they just acquired. And the basic mandate was, find out what's there. What I want you men to know is what God has given you is a gift, a lifelong opportunity to explore and discover your wife. Not just a two-year expedition, men, but when you commit to a woman, when you commit to be her husband, you're committing to pursue her for the rest of your life as long as you would live. Lest we think this pursuance in the study is some kind of demeaning science experiment or project, he adds a second phrase. He says, we're not only to pursue them. Look back at your Bibles at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Men, our pursuance of our wives is never to be a project or, you know, we're just trying to get information. We're actually to do it in such a way that we show respect and kindness and grace to them. That in our pursuance of them, we actually make them feel special and treasured. I think in a lot of marriages, what we're trying to do is just not mess up. Right? A lot of marriages, I think, are built around the absence of problems. Let's just not have a fight. Let's just not have a problem. Let's just try to avoid some big thing so we can go to bed at a reasonable hour. The truth is, honoring our wives, men, as described here, is not just the absence of harm or problems, but it's the presence of encouragement and celebrating who they are. Your wife is a gift that God has given you that we're to make feel like a daughter of the king. Heard the story about a Christian speaker who was speaking at this big conference. And one of the speakers on the list of uh, people that were speaking at this conference was George W. Bush, former president of the United States of America. And this Christian speaker was sitting, and George W. Bush had not yet arrived. And he was sitting next to a person that began to describe all of the ways they didn't like 
that president and why they didn't vote for him and all the problems that he or she had with this president. And all of a sudden, right as they were kind of midstream in conversation, um, the band begins to play Hail to the Chief and the president, former president George W. Bush walks in. And of course, what does everybody do? Everybody stands up. And this person that he was sitting next to that just moments before had been disparaging about this president, he looks over and they've got tears streaming on their face because the president, former president of the United States is walking through. Men, we have somebody far more important than a president in our homes. That's our wives. You see, we can make verses 1 through 6 a lot easier for our wives if we embrace what God's calling us to do in verse 7. One of the reasons wives read, I've got to submit to my husband, and they go, whew, that sounds like a tall order, is because, guys, we don't set a great environment for them from verse 7 to do that. One of the questions I would ask if you're single and you're dating a guy, one of the questions I would ask is, is he somebody worth following? Is he someone worth putting yourself under his care and protection? Can he provide for you? Can he, not just physically with finances, but spiritually, encouragement, can he bring those things to the table? Men, we have to create an environment for our wives where they feel like they're daughters of the king, where they're valuable and treasured. So what's this mean? Our unexplainable behavior that points to the unseen God is treating our wives as a gift from God. Think about the genius of God that he puts within men this desire to explore and to discover, and he gives them, he couples them with this person they get to do that with for the rest of their lives. Guys, our desire to discover and to explore and to understand should not be relegated to our garage or our computer. It should actually start with our beautiful brides that he gives us. And some of you right about now might be saying, well, why? Why should I do that? Aren't there a number of other ways I could use this desire for discovery? I mean, couldn't I find a hobby? I mean, do I have to really pursue my wife and honor her the way that Peter's talking about? And the answer is yes. I'm going to finish this morning by giving you three really quick, listen fast, okay, three quick reasons, men, why we are to love our wives and pursue them and honor them in the way that he calls us to. Look back at verse 7 for the first one. Number one is the nature of women. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, be, let's be clear about this. This is not saying that you are weak. It's a term of degree. It's a term of comparison. It's talking primarily, I believe, about the typical, not standard, but the typical differences emotionally between men and women. Emotionally, ladies, God has blessed you with a depth that men typically don't have. Not in every case, but Typically. And what Peter's saying is these differences between men and women are not to be a source of friction and problem. What these differences are actually meant to do is to complement one another, to be a puzzle that works together to provide an opportunity for this pursuance to happen. So when I say, men, that you and I have an opportunity to pursue our wives for the rest of our lives and they're different than us, this is what Peter's saying here. The nature of your wife is such that you actually have something to pursue. You actually have something to learn about her because she's so different than you. Now, here's the big issue, guys. I mentioned this a moment ago. If you see your wife's difference from you as a weakness, you will not pursue her. You'll complain. 
And I hear guys do this all the time. And I brought something up and my wife started crying or she got upset and she got emotional. I don't know what to do. She's different than you. She doesn't process things the way you process them. That's actually an opportunity for us to connect with, empathize, and pursue. Number two, why should we pursue and honor our wives? Because of the nature of grace. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Look back at verse seven. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Heirs with you of the grace of life. In other words, what Peter's saying is both men and women are equal in their status before God. There is no hierarchy of humanity before God. We are all level at the foot of the cross. We all come before God broken and in need of His grace. And because that's the case, though there are different roles in marriage, different parts to be played, um, men and women in their status before God are equal. That is, they're both sons and daughters of the king. They're children of the Most High. And because that's true, man, what that means is we pursue our wives, we honor them in that way, because when I say that we have royalty in our house, I really mean it. Our wives are daughters of King Jesus. We are to treat them that way. Thirdly and finally, we are also to treat them that way because of the nature of prayer. Look back at verse 7 for this last point. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Man, this is man, this is a sobering phrase that every single man listening in this room needs to pay attention to. Because what he's saying here is if I don't treat my wife with the respect and the honor and the value that she deserves, God doesn't listen to me. I didn't write the mail, I'm just delivering it. That's what this says. That your prayers may not be hindered. That word word hindered in your Bibles in verse 7 means to prevent or to thwart. And here's what he's saying about marriage when he makes that statement. He's saying that marriage is not just a physical union of oneness. He's saying that marriage is a spiritual union between two people. If you could visualize this with me, it's like spiritually when couples are married, they enter into a spiritual three-legged race. You ever seen a three-legged race at a picnic or some outdoor gathering, right? You you tie the two couples' legs, the two people's legs in the middle together, and they try to run in tandem, right? They try to run together. What Peter's saying about marriage is that when you get married, you are entering into a spiritual three-legged race. Your legs are tied. You're no longer just on your own doing your own thing. You're actually one. So here are the implications of that, men. If my wife is hurting, if she's upset about something, I'm hurting. I'm upset. How many times, guys, did we go, I don't know what her problem is. I'm going to go cut the grass. I don't really know what's bothering her. I'm going to go do my own thing. That is totally antithetical to what the Bible is saying here. It's because when, when Shelly has a problem, what this is saying is, I have a problem because we're connected. And if I don't treat her that way, it affects my relationship with God. It's like my prayers start hitting the ceiling and they can't go any further because I'm not resolving one of my primary responsibilities as a husband, caring for my wife. I heard the story one time of a pastor's wife who had a nervous breakdown at church. This breakdown was so severe, so intense, that she was literally lying on the floor of the church building, sobbing, crying. And The husband ran into the hallway, called one of his trusted friends, and said, what do I do? 
the women are, the church are kind of around talking to her, and the guy on the phone says, where's your wife? He said, well, she's lying on the floor crying. He said, lay down next to her where she is and talk to her. Love on her. Be where she is. Man, I know emotional depth for many of us and empathy are challenges. I understand that. But what God is calling you and I to do is to not just connect with our wives at a physical level. That's the part guys typically like. We are called to also connect with them at an emotional and a spiritual level. And if we're relegating that, we're pushing aside that responsibility, what this is saying is that has implications for your relationship with God. If I don't treat this blonde on the front row as a daughter of the king, and as this child, what this is saying is God doesn't listen to me. So what does all this mean? If this is true, if alien wives are people that submit to their husbands by trusting Christ, and alien husbands are people that, that serve their wives and honor them and pursue them because they're daughters of the king, what does this mean? Let me give you one sentence just to sum all this up, okay? When we embrace our roles as husbands and wives, we point people to Christ's return because our homes become outposts of another kingdom. The reason this is so important, and the reason Peter's writing about this in this section, right? What's an alien and aliens from another place that this is not their home? They're here to give something. They're here to try to prepare people for the fact that that kingdom is coming one day. Our homes become little outposts, become little embassies of another kingdom when we live this out because there's this unexplainable behavior going on. Right, guys, when I'm at work and other guys are laughing about their wives or making fun of their wives and we speak highly of our wives, people go, why are you talking that way? It's unexplainable behavior that points to a greater reality, points to Christ. I failed to mention this at the beginning of the message, but I want to end this morning a little differently than we normally do. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I cannot stand before you and say that I do this perfectly. I think, I think you know that. Shelly could get up here and take the mic and tell you more. Um, I don't. In fact, this, this week particularly was a really challenging week for our family. I don't know, some of you saw on Facebook and ER visits and cars dying and people traveling and particularly stressful. But when I read this passage of Scripture and I think about what God calls us to, I know that none of us can do this without His help and His grace. Amen? None of us can. And so what I want to do to close this morning, I'm going to ask Zach to come on up. Um, I'd like, if you are married, if you're a couple, and you want to recommit yourself, you want God to kind of refresh your marriage, I'm going to ask you to come down front and pray at the altar here in just a second. Um, Coming forward and praying as a couple in no way is an admission that you have, like, big hairy problems that nobody can fix and, you know, You don't want anybody to know. It's just coming forward says, God, I need your help. God, I need your grace and your mercy in my life. Can I just say something to you if you're married this morning? We can be the hardest on each other. We can be so hard on each other sometimes. And part of what I want this time to be about is just saying, God, Maybe there's some problems in our marriage. Maybe there's some difficulties. Maybe right now you're on the top of a mountain. Things are going great. You still need God's grace. You still need his help. 
And so just a moment after I pray, when I finish praying, I'm going to ask all the couples that are interested, that are willing to come down front of this altar and kneel all over this altar. In the first service, we had people everywhere. We'd love for you to come. If your spouse isn't here, we had, we had wives that came down and prayed without their husbands because he's at work or he's out of town. You can still come. But I want to lead you through just a season of prayer of stilling our hearts before the Lord and saying, God, we want to live this out, but we cannot do this without you. So I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, we're going to have a time of you coming, and we pray that you would do that. Would you please pray with me, church? Father God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. And God, how you speak to us. God, you know, in my own life, this past week was a hard week for our family. think about what you call me to as a husband, I am overwhelmed. Lord, you've gifted me with Shelly, with a beautiful wife who loves you, and you call me to serve her with a pursuant honor of her. And God, along with the rest of the men in the room, I just declare to you my need for you and for you to radically move God, as we have a time of response and we come forward and we ask for prayer, we pray that you would use this time to refresh your saints and to revive your people again. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.